Welcome in, guys, to another episode of the Advisor Odyssey podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about uh, actually going to be a crash course on all things advisor, uh, financial advisor podcasting. It's going to be the focal point here. We're going to be chatting about uh, CPA referrals. If you're getting them now, how to get more. If you're not getting them now, how to fix that. And then some ideas, uh, both client and prospecting ideas around holidays. So stay tuned, guys. Good episode. Some good content coming your way. This is the Advisor Odyssey audio experience, where financial advisors, planners, insurance agents, and brokers will find fresh new ideas and perspectives around what it takes to launch, succeed, scale, and bulletproof their business. So podcasting, it's, I mean, for the last, call it four or five years, it's been a constantly growing theme that more and more advisors, especially, are wanting to do podcasts. And for good reason. Podcasts are like little engines that are constantly running. With a radio show, you have it going on, and it's, if they miss that show, they miss that show. They don't hear you. Whereas with podcasts, they can go back and listen to it over and over and over again. So podcasts as a whole is, uh, it's a marketing funnel. It's more of a branding piece that I think every advisor should explore. The real question is, should your podcast be geared towards client communication or should be more geared towards prospecting? So we'll talk through that as we get through this, but as stated already, podcasts are like little engines that are constantly running, okay? As you continue to do podcasts, you're just gonna grow in popularity. And by popularity, I mean more views, more listens, uh, higher search results, etc. So it's going to grow that you're going to get your brand out there more and you're also going to create amazing uh, drip marketing and touch point marketing material from them. That's one of the most overlooked elements of podcasts for financial advisors that I, I don't understand where the dots don't fully connect on that. Your podcasts serve as amazing, amazing drip marketing tools to use throughout your entire appointment process. I mean, as soon as they register to an attendant event or they download that PDF or they you know, sign up for that webinar, whatever it is, you can immediately start dripping on them and you can use your podcast as the number one content engine, okay? Um, so on the topic of how to actually do the podcast though, again, you don't have to have a crazy fancy setup. This entire setup, if you're watching on YouTube uh, or on video, you can actually see the setup a little bit right now. We've got phones and we've got microphones and we've got computers going. It's not, we don't have this crazy elaborate studio. We don't have anything crazy expensive. Okay. You could do a full scale setup podcast, start to finish and edit it on your own for less than 500 bucks easily. If you already have a nice phone, that nice new iPhone or Android, call it 400, uh, probably 300, 350 bucks then. So these podcasts though, I would be aiming to do your podcasts uh, preferably weekly or bi-weekly. If it's going to be more for the client side, okay, not prospecting, if it's more for the client side, you can do them more monthly based. But when you have the podcast laid out, and again, in all my examples, I'm going to state that let's say you're doing it weekly. Okay, that's how I'm going to structure this. If you want to put it together for like a one longer episode in the middle of the month or beginning or end of the month, just clump this all together in different segments. But your podcast could be planned out uh, exactly one month at a time. So you don't have to have it you know, too far out in the future. It doesn't have to be sp- sporadic or spur of the moment. 
But the general topic of the podcast, well, you can talk about the same general topic for every week out of the month, but then as the weeks go on, your subtopic changes or you dive in deeper to the entire conversation. So again, let's take the example of, um, well, let's, let's use just common, uh, like market volatility. Okay. Let's say for, you know, the market rattled in the last couple months, let's say you want to take one of these months and talk mainly about market volatility. You could have, and again, assuming four weeks out of the month, right? You have your initial episode of what exactly is market volatility, what constitutes market volatility, what is a bear market, like what makes something a bear market, you know, what is the term for a bull market, like that. You, you can just talk high level around that. Just common things that people sometimes ask, they'll Google it a lot, but that could be your week one podcast. Your week two podcast could be all about, again, following that same trend of market volatility. It could be around, um, you know, if you're employed, right? If you're in a 401k, if you have that traditional IRA, whatever it is, the Roth IRA, Roth 401k, etc. You need to go look at your account right now, right? You can get into more of that specific conversation around if you are actively working, here's what you should be doing, A, B, C, D, etc. You can also turn that into a call to action driven marketing to where you can also refer people to go to, you know, XYZ website, whatever you have. Or just download it straight from the description of the podcast, if possible, depending on where you host your podcasts. And they can download that immediate checklist right there. That's a lead funnel. That's a lead funnel, guys, right there. It's going to be constantly alive. So then week three of the month, maybe you talk about what to do if you're not actively working. right? Maybe you have retirement plans or you're collecting a pension or you've got your fund being managed by another advisor, etc. Then it lays out the things to do uh, in that circumstance. Again, follows the same pattern. It's a lead funnel. It's an opportunity for you to have an organic growth marketing funnel that you don't have to keep paying for over and over and over again. And then <clears throat> lastly, that week four, you can make that more, oh, I guess we'll call it um, prospecting question centric. Okay, think about like my podcast that I'm doing for second year. I talk about one main topic for the majority of the podcast. Now, when we finish that component, that piece of it, we move into the left field segment. Now, left field is a segment that I created because of the questions that I tend to get almost every single day from financial advisors and insurance agents and wealth uh, wealth managers, wealth advisors, etc. And my thought is, if answering one of those questions can help all the other advisors who listen to this, whether it's the day it's released or 10 years after the day it's released. That's a value that I want to continue to provide. So you take that same approach to your clients, okay, and your prospects. If you are actively posting these podcasts, okay, and you do, again, following that same example, market volatility is the, the main topic for the month of May, we'll call it. Market volatility May. Week one is what exactly does market volatility mean? And then some common investing language. Download the checklist, okay? Then you have uh, the second week, things to do if you're actively working, what you need to know about market volatility while you're actively employed and saving for retirement. Download the checklist, download the guide. Week three is what do you do 
if you're actively working still, I'm sorry, if you're retired, my apologies, what to do if you're actively retired and you're collecting money from other sources. Download the guide. And then that fourth one could be an open invitation for anyone to ask questions. Now, granted, all of my questions that come in from left field, they're actually asked of me. But you might not get a direct question asked to you by a prospect. You might just have a question that comes up in one of your meetings. You're like, you know what? That's a really good, that's a good question. I've been getting that a lot lately. That's the one that you can use for your fourth podcast. Jot down a couple of the questions. Now, you do have to be careful with this for obvious compliance reasons. You're not giving investment advice. But again, following that same trend, one of those questions could be, you know, hey, uh, let's say I'm the advisor. Hey, Daniel, I tend to get, uh, I tend to hear a lot of people talking about the difference between a Roth IRA, traditional IRA, a Roth 401k, a 401k, a pension. Like, I don't know what all of these really mean to me, like how they impact me or if I even have any of these. How do I find out if I have any of these? And if I don't, how do I find out how to get them? Like, that's a question you can answer, right? You're not giving advice. You're just providing general education. So that fourth week out of the month, that's your opportunity to really take it and use however you want to use it. And you can sub in market volatility with uh, legacy planning. Like maybe it's life insurance awareness month. You can sub in Medicare conversations and healthcare conversations, long-term care. You can sub in topics around personal finance and blogging. I had a whole, whole clip from a previous episode uh, talking about the 10 areas, like core areas for creating content for, uh, now granted it was for written content, but the same is true for video and audio content. Just create, uh, and there's 10 of them. So take those 10, then add two specific ones to you. That's your monthly content, right? That's your monthly content. Year over year over year, keep creating that same content. Now, I did reference that there's a difference between uh, prospect forward podcasting and client forward podcasting. I want to be clear in the sense that the difference is only in the goal of the podcast, okay, is the goal. Is your goal to stay communicated and top of mind for your clients, or is your goal to be uh, to, to leverage the podcast as a potential prospecting marketing funnel, like s- systematic prospecting funnel? So that's what's going to change. What's not going to change, and what's going to be static across the two is, you should, uh, like in your podcast, the language you use and how you explain things, treat it as if you're only talking to your clients. Okay. I, I can tell you from personal experience doing this podcast, my first few episodes, it was very much geared to how can I impact people I've never met and might never meet. And while that's still true, I've changed my own mindset and it's helped me, by the way, it's helped me be more comfortable and more active and more creative when I take my mindset instead of thinking about how to impact people I've never met. It's also how do I make an impact on the people I know and I'm working with now? And then it dovetails into people I'm not working with, not who I don't know now, how I can help them. So always be client forward first. Um, helpful tip here is to target 20 to 30 minute episodes. I know, I know some podcasts go long, they go 45 minutes to an hour, uh, sometimes longer than that. I know some podcasts are little snippets, they'll be five minutes or 10 minutes. Um, you can choose how you want to do it. I, I would not do the long one. I would highly recommend not doing the hour-long podcast. But um, if you're trying to decide between you know a 20 to 30-minute episode versus like five, four, three, four, or five, like five-minute episodes, we'll call it, that's going to be entirely up to you. 
Um, obviously, the more episodes you have, the more editing you have to do, the more posting you have to do, the more tracking you have to do. There's a lot more you have to do. But um, if that's what you want to do, I don't, I don't think there's going to be a problem with that. <clears throat> um, but here's why I like the 20 to 30 minute episodes. Most people listen to podcasts while they're in the car, while they're driving, or they're traveling in general. That's typically when most people listen to podcasts. So if the average person drives 10 to 15 minutes to work a day, I want to be the one that when they hop in their car, you know, whether they plug in their cord or it syncs to Bluetooth, they open up Spotify or Apple Podcasts. I want them to see my podcast 25, 30 minutes long. They start that podcast. They head to work. They get to work. They're halfway through. When they leave work or they go on their lunch break, then they finish the other half. And that's my goal. Okay. Your goal might be different, but that's my personal goal. So um, I get it too, by the way. 30 minutes can be daunting for some. So can those five-minute segments, 10-minute segments. But the the whole big point around podcasts is it gives you a platform to share your knowledge. Okay, you're not trying to sell anything on a podcast. That's also the difference between podcasting and radio. On radio, you need to maximize the time. You're paying for that specific time slot. So it makes sense to deliver a consistent call to actions. If you do the radio show and you never get a single call in, I mean, unless you've got the money to spend on just specific brand building versus direct marketing, you're wasting the money on it, right? You're not maximizing it. Whereas with pod, uh, with podcasts, it's okay. You're not going to drive an appointment like super quick. It's it's more of a long term uh, branding structure. So. <clears throat> One of the other big, like, fundamental principles that I've learned in doing this, and I actually was told this, and I did it wrong, so this is a bit of a vulnerable take too, but um, that principle is when you create the content, save the content. Okay, now, you know, behind the scenes look, when I record this, and take this knowledge, okay, you can do this too. When I record a podcast episode, I lay out in front of me what kind of an outline Uh, I'm sorry, what topics I want to talk about. I provide an outline, okay? There's an outline here where I know to make sure the path to follow. It's kind of like bumpers, right? So I don't get too off topic, but I also stay on top of time. As I progress through that, we cover specific things. So far in the last 10 minutes of this entire episode, I've already told you how long podcasts should be, why they should be that long, how frequently you should do them, uh, why they're a good drip material. Those are all content pieces that can be repurposed and used. And quite frankly, they will be reused. That's the goal of it. So I was saving my content, but what I wasn't doing that I learned from, yes, I was repurposing it and posting it. I never really actually chronologued it. So now, for example, this episode, when I have conversations with advisors wanting to know more about podcasting, wanting to know if they should be getting into it, what they need to know, some best practices, strategies, tools, etc. I know that I have this episode recorded and I will have it hyperlinked. So whenever someone asks me that question, I know that I can follow up their question with an immediate link to listen to my episode. Okay. That's the goal of it. Keep that in mind when it comes to the, like the financial planning side of it. You have prospects, probably more so prospects, but you'll have clients too. They'll ask you things like, um, 
you know, I've I've got my 401k or my pension plan at work. I don't really see a need to replace it. Why would anyone want to replace it? <clears throat> That's a question you might get a lot. Okay. And this is why it's also important to remember the objections you get and the questions you get and have common answers for them. That becomes an opportunity for you to answer that question on a podcast. And the way that you want to answer it, not on the spot, you've got time to prep your answer. And then you share that. Okay. Whether it's solicited or non, okay. Whether they ask you or maybe you're just thinking that could help them, you still send it. Whatever it is, that becomes content you can use. You say it once, but you use it 10 times. Okay. Um, another piece of podcasting is make sure to track your results. There, it can be a little daunting to track, like the listens. You don't want to get into all of those weeds of it. But uh, some easy ways to track it when you sit down with someone for the first time, if you're not already, you should be asking them how they first heard about you. Okay. How do they hear about you? Why do they want to meet with you? Uh, some might say, you know, I, I actually heard your podcast, kind of maybe start listening to you. Now you know that it's working, right? Um, whenever it comes to your social media and like the branding you do as a whole, you should be putting your podcast, uh, at least like the Spotify or the Apple podcast logo or whatever other platform you might be using to host it. Have that uh, icon, that logo on all your materials. Have the name of your podcast everywhere. When you send out a newsletter to your clients, include to them, like send it to them, the past episode or two that you had uh, done in that time frame, however long, however frequently you do your newsletters. If you do it once a quarter, they should be getting probably three to five episodes of your podcast hyperlinked and laid out in front of them talk with the topics attached, okay? Um, try to do as much evergreen content as possible. Reason number one, kind of an obvious thing, but it's compliance-driven. The worst thing you can do is talk about some sort of rule or some law or legislation that is now expired, right? Let's say you're talking about uh, a really easy example. This is uh, tax brackets. If you've got an episode of your podcast airing from seven years ago when tax brackets were different and that's still there, people are still listening to that and they actually take action upon the stuff you shared seven years ago, that's a concern. Uh, but you can still overall talk about tax brackets and how they change and how you should always look at it. Here's where you can go to find it. Stuff like that. That's evergreen content, okay? Um, but the other reason you want to have it evergreen is because you want people to download your episode, okay? This will, from the algorithm side, it'll, it'll bump you up, right? You'll get noticed more. Um, it'll also provide you with really good data on who's listening. But uh, the other side of it is if your episode stands the test of time, at least for the short term, again, seven years is a long time, one episode you do last five years of relevance, that's awesome. Um, the more long-lasting it is, the more likely it is to be downloaded. Okay, it, it, you're going to get a ton of uh, ton of hits on it, ton of downloads on it, ton of people sharing it, perhaps comments, like whatever it is, you want it to be downloaded and you want it to be listened to over and over again. So again, those are some of the high-level podcasting strategies for financial advisors. Uh, there's some other you know small like minutia type driven strategies that I would highly suggest you look at and dig into on your own. Uh, on a more like specific basis, but in a general sense, that's uh, that's a lot of the information that you should need to be able to jump into podcasts confidently. From left field, where we take a swing at answering your specific questions and share our insights into the more common challenges that financial advisors, planners, insurance agents, and brokers typically face in their business. Now moving into the left field segment, guys. Um, this is a question 
that I <clears throat> I actually really enjoy getting because it allows uh, me and my conversation to provide perspective to the advisors I work with. And that question is, hey, Daniel, I refer a lot of my clients and even some prospects before they become clients to a, a couple CPA firms near me. I know the guys or the gals, I'm happy with them, but I tend to never get any referrals back, or if I do, they're very rare. What am I doing wrong? So <laughs> this uh, this is kind of a funny topic here because most CPAs, they, and I want to be careful I say this, most advisors are putting too much faith into uh, faith and trust into the CPAs they refer to. Because as soon as, as an advisor, you refer someone to CPA, they're, they're going to be helping with taxes. Um, you know, let, let's say they're just general accountant based, like they're doing the tax returns. That's their value, like primary value. They can do more than that. Uh, and they probably do uh, do more than that. But that's a primary value to them. And it's an easy way to refer people. Hey, as we get into tax time, I want to refer you to my CPA that I work with. Uh, great, you know, great guy, great gal. Uh, they'll help you with your returns. That's really simple. But when a CPA were to flip that switch and then they say, you know, hey, uh, I want to refer you to my financial planner, really nice guy, really nice gal. Uh, they can make sure they build you a good plan. It's a little more convoluted than just a tax return, okay? Or maybe it's a, an internal audit type situation because now that CPA has really created liability for themselves, okay? You have your natural referral center of influence hurdles that you have to overcome, people feeling like they're being sold, people saying that like... Uh, um, no, the, the investment wasn't suitable for them or, hey, why'd you refer me to that person? They were just trying to like sell me something. Like, You have those natural hurdles, but then you add in the liability piece. Okay, And then the CPA also, if you put them in stuff that messes up their investments, their taxes, then that CPA has more work to do on their end, so they don't even want to mess with it. That's very common. Not all CPAs do that, but it's very common. So here's three questions that you need to ask yourself. If you're referring people to CPAs right now, like your clients or prospects to outside uh, CPAs and you're not getting any back or enough in your mind. First question is, how many clients have you referred to CPAs in, uh, let's say it's just this year or last year, right? If you don't know that answer and you start tracking it, write it down, like the number, just old school tally box. The second question is, do you get in front of more people, like for a first appointment, than the CPA? If the answer is no, you do not get in front of more people, you rely on them, then that's that's an out, that's you're not in a position of leverage. You're always gonna become a victim of your own circumstances. You need to control your marketing, you need to get in front of more people than the CPA. Cause then they're just gonna feel like they're helping you versus you helping them, actually. Uh, but but again, if you do get in front of more people than them, that becomes leverage. And then the third question is, have you followed up? with the CPA you're referring people out to and ask them if they met with your referral. So you refer John and Susie out to that CPA, follow up with them a week or two later. Hey, you know, uh, Sam Smith CPA, did you have a chance to meet with John and Susie? How did that go? Will they make good clients to your firm? Are they what you're looking for? Or did I miss the boat on that? Do they end up doing business with you? Do they, are they going to meet with you again? Like keep asking those questions because when you dig more into that and you ask those questions, you learn more about the nature of their relationship with their clients too, okay? There's client relationships they tell you about and there's client relationships that you have to hear from the client. So if they begin working together, 
ask why they liked them. If they didn't, or if they won't be working together, ask why not. Be curious, and then if they end up saying, no, they weren't a good fit, no, we didn't work with them, blah, 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 make the CPAs justify to you why they did or did not make their decision, okay? Make them tell you why. And when they tell you why, then you can start to track the justifications. They were this, they were that, they didn't have this in place, they were needy, they were, whatever it is, that becomes your anchors and that becomes your firepower to continue to build leverage into that center of influence relationship. You can even, and I, I know advisors who do this, you can actually make them legally contracted to refer people to you. That's a unique strategy that I've seen some people do. You will definitely have to check with your uh, compliance, your internal compliance teams, your uh, you know oversight in general to see if this is even doable. But you can uh, theoretically build out some type of agreement to where you make it so every single one of your clients only uses you know these CPA firms. Okay, they only use that firm. So whenever they do tax work, they have to go to that firm. But the exchange of that is an annual or monthly retainer fee. Okay. It has to be structured in a way that the clients, like your clients, your financial planning clients, never pay a dime to that CPA for any service they render. You have to cover all the cost. So when you do that, the CPA loses their own individual leverage. Depending on how nice that check is, imagine this. You approach a CPA, and you know through your marketing, okay, you gotta have your numbers tracked here, but you know that you have an, a surplus of $5,000 a month that you know it's not going a ton of stuff. I was thinking about doing some new strategies, but I want to increase my referrals. So you set up a, a contract that says a, a, a monthly retainer that you're going to spend, uh, pay that CPA $5,000. The expectation is that when you do that, that CPA refers people back to you. And they have a an exit clause in there that says, if I don't receive X amount of referrals from the CPA, then they violated their contract. Or you also work in what I said earlier, if they ever charge my client for anything instead of me, they uh, null and void the contract, it's done. Now you can overwhelm your CPAs with referrals, okay? You overwhelm them with that, and then they also know on their side, they need to send people your way, or they're gonna lose their money. When you start to rely on that, again, 5,000 is actually kind of a smaller number, but imagine if you're paying someone 120,000 a year, so 10 grand a month, that's a pretty big chunk of change that they're relying on now. They don't wanna lose that, okay? And the very last piece of that, as I just mentioned, never be afraid to fire a CPA referral source. Never. Be bold, be blunt, and be biased. Tell them exactly why. Be blunt about it. And let them know it's if it is because they didn't refer people back to you, tell them that. You know, hey, Chris, I would have kept you uh, as my number one go-to CPA, but quite frankly, I just was not getting any or enough referrals back from you. Try. I thought it was not justified. And I have some other CPAs that are in the network that have told me, they've expressed to me that they will refer people to me. I wanted to give them a chance to provide a, a better opportunity for me and my team. However you want to word that. So again, guys, those CPA relationships can be a little tricky, but that's a great way to navigate that. So our second question here is, uh, it's around what other advisors are doing for clients on holidays. And uh, this is, you know, outside of sending cards or, you know, emails and all gifts and all that. This is an amazing opportunity to provide, uh, to make an impact on your clients in the holiday season. You know, I'm going to only say two of these, okay? These are two of my favorite ideas. This is a growing topic and I'm actually, uh, now that I'm about to answer this, I'm going to make this an entire podcast episode because there's so many ideas here. But the first of which is, um, it's for Valentine's Day. 
Yeah, there's a lot of folks that do Valentine's Day events, especially a lot of female financial advisors just by circumstance. But uh, you should be hosting an event, I believe, that's dedicated specifically to the women you work with. Where you want to do that event and when you want to do it, up to you. I would recommend doing it around Valentine's Day. And if you have a large enough client pool, invite the single widowed and divorced women. Don't invite the women that are actively married. Okay, invite the single widowed and divorced women because they typically spend Valentine's Day with each other or by themselves. So they're likely going to have a lot of free plans. They'd be open to doing something else. And then with this event, go over the top with it, right? It's an appreciation event, not a referral event. You got to be very clear about that. So never talk business. Just make it the most amazing experience you possibly can. Provide light snacks, provide appetizers, no heavy meals, then make the dessert look like a work of art. I'm talking like a bouquet of fruit, like edible arrangement style, but massive. A chocolate fondue fountain. Maybe you got really fancy like cookies. Like go over the top of it. And then a big component of this, you should be giving the women flowers when they leave. Okay, that's number one. But number two, when you invite them, send them a bouquet of flowers with the invite. Great way to drive a, uh, a good uh, attendance rate. Now, the second uh, holiday event idea that I really like is actually for Veterans Day. Now, Veterans Day is in November, obviously, but this should be an event that's open for all of your clients who have served in a branch of the military. Okay, You're also going to strongly encourage them to invite uh, anyone else that they know who has served in the military, regardless of their age. You have to be clear, regardless of the age. Okay, If this is done right, and this will probably take a year or two, maybe three, to actually catch some steam, but this can become its own entirely like separate or like individual pocket brand of yours. If you can be known as the advisor who uh, does so much for uh, veterans, that's going to be its own entirely referral source. So um, what I like the most about that idea is, number one, you, you want to have it, if possible, outside, you know, depending on where you're at geographically, but a big, big place. Okay, It doesn't have to be over the top like the, the Galentine's Day idea. But uh, make it accessible for many. Make it a very roomy. Have it a long length of time. Okay, that's another thing is for uh, the women's event, have it a very specific start and end time. Okay, it's just how women think. It's how they act. It's how they operate more. Whereas with men, make it a longer stretch of time. Call it double the time, and it's a come and go type thing. But um, what I like most about it is you can actually introduce some type of, uh, I use the term, this is from another advisor, a band of brothers type referral and ambassador program. But imagine, uh, again, for November Veterans Day, you send out to your clients who actually serve in the military a custom-framed flag honoring them for their service, and they receive that before the 4th of July, preemptively thanking them for uh, their their role, their portion of, that they played and that they served in providing you freedom. Okay. The purpose of that flag is also to invite them and announce to them, if this is the first time, uh, your event and when it will be. So they will have, call it, I don't know, four months in advance roughly to plan it, which is fine. You're not going to have a lot of objection there. But it'll also give them a great opportunity to get it out to their network. Okay, a lot of veterans, they're well connected with other veterans. It's a great opportunity for you. And uh, it, it, overall, like I said, that subsect of branding and marketing that you're going to create by appealing a lot to the veterans is going to be in and of itself incredibly valuable. And this event should be able to take it over the top for you. So those are two of my favorites. But again, we're going to do an entire episode on this in the near future. 
And uh, we're going to hit on probably six, seven, maybe eight total different ideas and go way more in depth on how to structure them. So thanks for listening, guys. Stay tuned. And if you have questions, again, please ask them. Ask them and we'll answer them. Take care. We hope you enjoyed the Advisor Odyssey audio experience. Connect with us on your favorite social media platforms at Advisor Odyssey. You can find our full-length educational videos to watch on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Check out all our articles and publications on medium.com forward slash Advisor Odyssey. The Advisor Odyssey podcast is available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. The contents and opinions shared, expressed, or otherwise alluded to on the Advisor Odyssey podcast and audio experience are solely ideas not to be depicted as tax, legal, or investment advice. Results from the use of these concepts may not be representative of the experience of all financial professionals and are no guarantee of future success. Your results may vary. The Advisor Odyssey and its affiliated members are not to be held liable or responsible for any lawful recourse or punishment invoked upon the individual or accompanying business partners or team members. Federal law, state law, and or insurance carrier requirements may prohibit or place limitations on any of the ideas and activities expressed. All advisors, planners, wholesalers, affiliated reps, and investment advisors should be aware of any limitations imposed by federal regulation, state regulation, insurance carriers, broker-dealers, and registered investment advisors as applicable. Investment advisors are strongly encouraged to obtain pre-approval from the broker-dealer, registered investment advisor, insurance company, or similar institution with which they may be affiliated.